Let's jump right into it. For joy. And your only hope for peace. And your only hope for comfort. And your only hope for love. And your only hope for strength in life is found in the cross of Jesus Christ. Your only hope in life is found in the brutal, bloody, humiliating, horrifying death of a naked man on a wooden post. So feel the horror here. We wear crosses around our necks as jewelry and we put them up on the walls in our homes. But you did not do that in the first century. But this is even worse because cross crucifixion was the most brutal, torturous, shameful, gruesome way to kill someone reserved for barbarians and slaves. And let's admit it, this is absurd to Americans. Take the successful American businessman with a nice job and a big house and a cool car and take the free-thinking American woman who thrives on her independence from everything, including God. Take them both outside to a city dump where in a back alley, a naked man is hanging by nails on a tree covered in blood. And you tell that man and that woman, your only hope in life is believing that this man is God and your eternity is dependent on submitting to him as your judge, your master, and your Lord. That man and that woman will laugh, roll their eyes, at most feel sorry for this man in his deranged condition and walk away. Why do so many people in the world look at the cross and see folly while you and I look at the cross and see forgiveness? You see power in the cross of Christ only because of the mercy of God who has called your name. I'll preach right there. That'll preach. Amen. Dr. David Platt kicking us off today on Gospel Defenders episode seven. Man, episode seven. I feel like we might even get to the double digits. Well, the pace we're going, 2020 is looking good for double digits. <laughs> yeah, this is what, 2016? So yeah, I mean, four more years, we might get there. So we want to welcome you to uh, our podcast today. We have a uh, special guest joining us. Robert, you want to introduce our special guest? So we got the special guest today. His, uh, this is the new guy. We're working on a nickname. I'm kind of leaning towards the anchor man. I like it, Andy the anchor man. Andy the anchor man. So he's bringing in hot topics, news things, creative. So uh, Andy, why don't you say hello to the listeners? Uh, hello. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here, and I hope we can do some good good things, good things with this. Uh, can we hear a little bit of your... Uh, you're Morgan Freeman. Can you, I know we're putting you on the spot, and you weren't even expecting this, but this is what we do on the Gospel Defenders. Hold on, hold on. I want you to read the theme verse of Gospel Defenders, which is 2 Corinthians 10.5. All right. I can give it. I've got it right oh, here if you want you got, to. Yeah, okay. And read it as Morgan Freeman. Which are 10.5. We demolish arguments. And, <laughs> and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient.
around to Christ. That was hey, amazing. Yeah. We're going to have to record just that part <laughs> <laughs> and have that played. I think your face even turned in a little bit of Morgan Freeman S. It, it was like, yeah. man. The, the freckles come out. The freckles popped out. Everything. Method actor. <laughs> so. We demolish. <laughs> I can't do that. Almost. One minute. One minute. I almost burned all about my uh, Sean Connery, where I want to be like, oh, welcome to The Rock. So, I don't know. That's what I went to. That was terrible, wasn't it? That yeah. was. Moving on. Moving on. So, welcome, Andy. We're glad to have you. Thank you. If uh, anyone is listening to this podcast 100 years in the future, um, what does the current state of our culture look like? Well, we have a militant dictator running for president. Mm. Hillary? And then then Donald Trump. (laughs) And then Donald Donald Trump, Trump. that's right. Both of them. It seems like, you know, I go back and forth, man, from the bleakness of just the world, man. It's like the world's gone crazy, but then, you know, you look to the Word of God and you know that He is redeeming all things. He is making all things new. That's right. He's placing the enemies under His feet. They're going to be His footstool. If I was an atheist, man, I would have no hope. No hope. No peace. I mean, it's just kind of like David Platt's uh, sermon jam of where he said, your hope, your joy, your strength has to come from the relationship with Jesus Christ. That's so. right. Amen. Um, we're going to do a new new segment uh, called Hot Topics. And so this was something that I heard about um, within the last week. And uh, Dr. James White on the Dividing Line podcast covered a sermon from Andy Stanley titled, The Bible Told Me So. And I wanted to uh, just kind of show what the mindset is among what we may call the the progressive church, which is not a good thing, by the way, the emergent church, the seeker-friendly church. You know, how how is the seeker-friendly church trying to reach people? And I was pretty shocked because Andy Stanley, of course, his dad, uh, Charles Stanley, uh, you know, Andy Stanley, SBC, 32,000 people in his church among all the campuses. Wow. Hugely influential pastor. And I want to just listen to a few of these um, clips from his sermon, and then we'll comment on those for our Hot Topics segment. All right. Sounds good. Not enough anyway. So I need you to listen really, really carefully. And the reason is this. Perhaps you were taught, as I was taught, Jesus loves me, this I know, And let's all finish it together for the, yes, this is where our trouble began. Now, right there, he gives like a long pause. So let's say you're a newcomer in the audience and he says, Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. This is where our trouble began. What do you think he's trying to say? Mm, Well, I mean, first off, you know, the red flag goes automatically up, but. Obviously, he's saying something's not right with, and if you're able to see the video, if you pull the video up, he's got two things highlighted, which is no and Bible. So he's right. saying something about the knowledge and the Bible is not lining up. So mm. he's already painting a picture for you, even with his imagery of uh, the words he has on the screen. Which makes me think of a lot of things. First thing it makes me think of is Martin Luther 
separating from the Roman church because he believed that our authority is uh, uh, derived from Scripture alone. Mm. What guides the church is Scripture alone. So if it's not the Bible that is the foundation of what we proclaim and believe, it's got to be something else. And so now I've listened to the whole sermon. I'm not going to give the whole thing away. Maybe we can spend an entire um, podcast dissecting that. I think that would be good and fruitful. But we got to understand what does it mean to be Protestant? What does it mean to be Baptist? That scripture alone guides our faith. Amen. And immediately I already sense a problem there. I didn't see anybody leave yet. Good. And here's why this is where our trouble began. And this is a precious song and we should teach our children this song. But do you remember last week I said part of the problem is you grew up, but your faith didn't grow up with you. You grew up, but you outgrew your faith. Your childhood God could not withstand the rigors of adulthood and the questions of adulthood. And part of it is because our understanding of the Bible and our approach to Jesus did not grow up. And we find there's an extraordinary conflict of information and conflict of facts when it comes to the childhood version of Jesus in the Bible and what we learn as adults. Okay, let's, let's pause there. So there's a conflict of facts between the childhood Jesus and what we learn as an adult. Yeah, I'm sitting there racking my brain trying to think, what did I learn when I was a kid that's any different from what I know right now? Hmm. I mean, this is my personal situation. I became a Christian at eight years old. And I I, I knew at that time a few things. Number one, I knew that I was a sinner. That has not changed. It has only increased exponentially, my knowledge. Number two, I knew that Jesus died a sacrificial death on the cross in my place. That has not changed. Number three, I knew that he rose from the grave. That has not changed. That's right. I'm trying to find out. I mean, I mean, it's not like you're teaching kids in apologetics class. Where, where, right. I mean, you're, you're teaching them the foundations of the faith, which none of which change. Well, something to me that stood out right off the bat was when he said there's a fundamental problem when it comes to when he's talking about faith. He's not having the same understanding about faith that I have about faith. When I think about Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10, when it talks about you're saved by grace through faith, this is a gift of God. When he starts talking about you've outgrown your faith. That doesn't make sense. That doesn't make sense. How How do you grow beyond what God has put inside you? And so then I think you'll start seeing where the trickle-down effect comes in, his thoughts about salvation, mm-hmm. the, the works of Christ, well, the number works one, of man. Number one, he says, if you've walked away from Christianity, he said that in the opening, if you've walked away from Christianity for these reasons, mm-hmm. what does that tell you his Christianity is based upon? It's not based upon a transformation of the Spirit. It's based on a mental construct of, of a set of data that you must accept and hold to. Because here's the thing, even though, you know, throughout my Christian testimony, I've had numerous times where I've questioned questioned everything. Mm -hmm. But down in my, I mean, my spirit, my soul, I can't get away from the fact that God has saved me and forgiven me and that I am a new creature. Mm. I, I desire, I desire, even when I don't understand things, I still want to follow him. So, I mean, in, from the liberal college classes to, 
people who've thrown every challenge at me that I didn't know the answer to. You know, I wonder, and I don't know much about Andy Stanley, uh, but I wonder if he is blessed assurance, you know what I'm saying, if he's uh, that you can lose your salvation type of person. Well, that's immediately what it sounds like. I mean, that's what, that's what jumps out to me, that, Which oh, you can lose it. is, number one, not a historically Baptist belief, because when we're saved by grace alone, um, not according, we're, we're not saved by man's uh, ability. You know, you go to Romans um, chapter 9, not to him who wills or him who runs, but it's God who has mercy, and salvation is a gift of God, not a work of man. It comes from God. And I always say, God is not an Indian giver. He mm. doesn't give salvation and then take it back. Um, a friend of mine, he told me this. He says, I, I said, you know, can, can, can you lose your salvation? He says, if you saved yourself, you can lose it. If God has saved you, God never loses what he saves. Wow. And I thought that was so powerful. That's good. That's true. That's true. So Amen. I think, you know, we're, we're not only finding his beliefs, Andy Stanley's beliefs about scripture, we're finding his beliefs about salvation, about man's, you know, evidently he doesn't affirm total depravity because he believes, well, you know, the more, if you walked away because you didn't know things, let me, let me teach you some things. Do you want to listen to some more? A few more? Yeah, play about another minute. We're definitely going to have to break this down one episode. So Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, is problematic for adults. And here's why. Because the implication is the Bible is the reason we believe. Okay. The Bible is the reason we believe. Okay. Now, one of the things he does is later on in this sermon, he says that the Bible didn't exist until 280 years after Christ. What did the apostles preach about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus? They said what? They talked about Scripture, the death, burial, and resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. That Christ died, died for, for our sins, sins according, according to, to the, the scriptures, scriptures. That he rose from the grave according to the Scriptures. And he was seen by over 500 eyewitnesses according to what? The Scriptures. Right. And, and, and what... You know, you look at how do we know, because here, here's his eventual point. We can't base our, our faith on the Bible because what he says is the Bible's a problematic. He does not believe that the Genesis, Genesis account can be taken as any truth. And, and he actually says that. He says um, that factual information. Uh, oh, oh, you'll love this, Robert. He says there's no evidence for a world, worldwide flood. <laughs> Except for the fact that every culture in the world has a flood narrative as part of their history. Well, he obviously hadn't heard of Answers in Genesis. Right. I bet Ken Ham and uh, uh, company would have a little issue with that. Right. What do you think, Andy? Oh, I absolutely agree. I mean, there's so many people out there who, like you said, have proof in their own, that's apart from the Bible. Right. That they have proof of the flood. You look at uh, the Epic of Gilgamesh. It is the oldest story um, when you look at manuscript evidence, now, if any of our listeners can correct me on this, but the Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest story besides the Old Testament narrative. And all it talks about is trying to find the man 
who was on the boat in the flood. Now, this is not a biblical document. He's trying to find the man who was on the boat in the flood. So every culture in the world has a flood narrative in their history, and, and what is the logical evidence of that? Well, every culture in the world came from the descendants of the flood. Mm-hmm. That's the only logical Amen. evidence. So anyway, I, I would love to break this down more. Absolutely, absolutely. That just kind of gives you a picture of not just our secular culture, but the so-called church culture who are denying the inerrancy of Scripture, the authority of all of the Bible. And he says, uh, I heard an interview with him and Russell Moore, and Russell Moore says, um, if you could tell evangelicals anything, what would you tell them? He says, I would get them away from proving the Bible and get them towards proving uh, the resurrection. Well, what documents do we have that proves the resurrection? Uh, Namely, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Kind of hand it in. <laughs> the scriptures? <laughs> right. So, hey, we're going to play a new uh, segment. This is, this. well, I don't know if we'll do the same thing, but here's what we're going to do today. This game is called Joel Osteen or Fortune Cookie. <laughs> and I'm going to let Robert... And Andy, answer these questions. Now, this okay. is, this is I'm telling you, this is going to be amazing. And we have no clue. Right. Right. I'm You're just going to read it, I'm, and I'm, we're just going to... I don't listen to Joel Osteen. <clears throat> but you know enough about I him. I know enough about him, right. about what This he, is what my Bible so. that I never opened. <laughs> that was my Joel right there. Opened. That was a good one. <laughs> that was that's pretty good. good. All right, you ready? All right. Okay. Okay. Oh my gosh! <laughs> now, are, we, are we both going to guess? Like, uh, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. I'll, 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 you know, even if you disagree. Okay, here's the first one. Happiness is not the absence of conflict, but the ability to cope with it. Is that Joel Osteen or Fortune Cookie? I'm going Joel. I, I agree. I agree. Joel. Let's see. Oh, that was Fortune. Oh okay. man. Okay. okay. Let's see where we're. Okay. This one's toughy. This one is tough. <laughs> You're not responsible for other people's happiness. You are responsible for your own happiness. That's Joel Osteen. That's got to be. I'm going Fortune. Fortune cookie. That is Joel Osteen. Man. So we'll play to three. That's one point for you. <laughs> We're turning this into a game. Gospel Defender game. That's right. Gospel <laughs> Defender game. And now available to your local store. Okay. Take the time to make a difference. Think about how you can make someone else's life better. Now... <clears throat> I would tell you, as I'm reading the questions, I don't actually see the answers. Okay. Right. So you have to click on it. So honestly, we could all look at these if you wanted to. Oh, sure. Oh. Well, that makes it a little bit better. So um, take time to... Ma- now, I'm going to... Here, here's my thing. I'm going to say Joel Osteen because Joel Osteen is normally not talking about making other people's life better. He's talking about making your life better. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with Fortune Cookie. Well, I'm... Yeah, about how you can make somebody else's life. Yeah, okay. Well, I'm going to go with Joel because the word better is in there, and he's all about selling his book. So, <laughs> right, make someone else. Okay. I will say fortune cookie as well. Okay, so we got two for fortune cookie. That was Joel. Oh, okay, right. nailed make it. Someone else take the time to make someone else's life better. So that's Joel. <laughs> okay. Now define better. That would be a difference in how we do that. All right. <clears throat> Avoid focusing on negative aspects of the past. Fortune cookie. I mean, that's, yeah. that's something that would go on a little sheet of paper. I that's what so. I'm thinking. Okay, I'm going to go with Joel Osteen. Okay. Okay, so y'all said fortune cookie. 
It Yo! Oh, man. This is so hard. It is. Because <laughs> yeah. they're, so, they're so similar. They are. Now, I'm hoping the listeners are playing along. So, okay. yeah, if you're ready, should, guys. We're going to pause and let the listeners do it as well. Okay. You can just as easily talk yourself out of your dream as you can talk yourself into it. Oh, God. Mm. It's, very, very, it's very proper. You proverb-ish. can just as easily it's, talk yourself out of your dream as you can talk yourself into it. it. I can see him have his eyes closed as he reads that one out. I'm going, Joel. What's your vote, Andy? She's to talk yourself as a dream as you can talk yourself into it. I'll go fortune cookie just to be okay. different. I'm going to say Joel. Just to be different. Uh, that was Joel. Joel. I believe see, that's three for he's me. All about fulfilling, so. He's all about fulfilling your dream. I thought it was, but I wanted it to be different. So okay. we, you know. I think there's maybe three more. Okay. When you can't naturally feel upbeat... It can sometimes help to act as if you did. Hmm. Joel. <laughs> it sounds... I'll go with J-O on that one. Kind of a pop culture thing. Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Fortune Cookie. Okay. Fortune Cookie. Wow. Fortune? I am horrible at Man, this. Man, I, I promise I've never read no Joel <laughs> scene stuff. <laughs> <laughs> to affirm is to make firm. That's fortune cookie. Oh, that's too brilliant for him. I'm going fortune cookie. <laughs> yep. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Oh, man. True greatness is not how bright you shine, but how bright you make others shine. That sounds like the other one that came up earlier. Yeah, that's definitely... Uh, I'm saying fortune cookie. I'm going Joel. True greatness is not how bright you shine, but how bright you make others oh, shine. Oh, that's so self-centered. That's... That sounds very much uh, Joelish. Joelish. That's Joel. Dang. Andy, you're gonna have to pick up on your Joel. I know. Uh, I'm gonna have to go read quotes. some just really sad <laughs> theology. <laughs> Somebody needs your encouragement. Somebody needs to know that you believe in them. Joel. Joel. I'm gonna say Joel. Yep. Mm. We got that was the first one we yeah. all got correct. <laughs> now can you read this in your best Joel voice? Yeah, I'm gonna try that. Let me let me think about that. The best things in life aren't things. <laughs> and it's fortune cookie. Yeah, because is Joel's perspective, the best thing in life are things. That's right. <laughs> so I'm going to go with fortune cookie. What do you say, Andy? Yeah, I agree. Fortune cookie. Fortune cookie. Okay. So we did 10. I think we, let's see if it gives us, oh, it, it, it keeps, oh, this, we got to do this one. You will produce what you're continually seeing in your mind. That's Joel. That is Joel. That's 100% Joel. That's 100%. Yep. Yep. All right. So I'm getting better. You're getting better after 11 fortune cookies. After 11 fortune cookies. That was a good little snack. Yep. That's basically what the Word of Faith movement is. What you think and speak will come into reality. My question is, why don't they walk into the, you know, children's cancer hospitals and start speaking life and healing over all the cancer patients. But you never see them doing that. Well, their theology and what they preach doesn't allow them to do that. You know? You know when why, don't, why don't Benny Hinn just walk around the slums of India? Did you say Benny Hinn or Benny Hinn? Hinn. Hinn. <laughs> Somebody said Benny Hinn? Benny Hinn. Never heard of Benny Hinn? <laughs> why don't him go do that? That would be an alternative uh, Christian rock group, Benny Hinn. Benny Hinn. You ever seen his video? It's like, it's got the... Uh, it's either Mortal Kombat or uh, Street Fighter video, and he's swinging around his coat, and he's like lightning's coming oh, yeah. out. And he's oh. like, ayah, ayah. 
That was awesome. Hey, is it uh, time for uh, anti-gospel? <clears throat> well, actually, we're going to do um, let our, our special guest, Andy the Anchorman, give us his top five Ooh. faith-based films. All right. Well, I'm going to start off by letting everybody know that I am a, a movie guy. I love to watch movies and things. And these, not all movies are bad. And I went through and I said, okay, let me, let me just try to narrow down the top five of what I thought the best faith-based movies were mm-hmm. of all time. And now a lot of this list is personal. There's probably someone here that you might like better, but this is a kind of a, you know, for me, my top five. And I'll start from the uh, five and I'll work my way to one. I started off with Left Behind. Not the Nicolas Cage one, the Kirk Cameron one. The original. You know what? I've never seen that. Really? Never. There are three. They hit the first three books, and then they stopped making them. Okay. Um, one, it kind of got me into the books. Uh, the, the Left Behind The Left books? Behind series. Right. I don't know if have you guys read those. I have not. No. I have not. They're not bad. It, it, I, I, like, two of my favorite, I don't know what you would want to call it, but parts Stories, aspects, mm-hmm. are end times, mm-hmm. uh, and Moses, mm. like the Exodus. Those are my favorite mm-hmm. favorite parts, and the resurrection. You know, those those no particular order. Those are the top three things that I like to see or like to hear about. Uh, so I, I, anyway, I went left behind because it is an end times thing. Now, is that are you starting from five up? Yes, from, okay. I'm, I'm going from five down to one. I, I have seen left behind as well. Yes. Kirk Cameron, I always like Kirk Cameron. He always does a uh, pretty good job. And I, what, I, what I like about the movie is that, you know, whether or not it's like 100% accurate, it really kind of breaks it down, dumbs it down for right. people like me who <laughs> have a hard time <laughs> understanding things that are not dumbed down. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it, it just kind of says this is what we think is going to happen based on what we've read from the Bible. You know, this is what we see. This is the rapture. And it's basically what the movie is. It begins with the rapture. But it was the first one that I saw that was that, that kind of was like, ooh, I like that. Right. Because now I understand it a little bit better. That's cool. Um, and I'll move on. The fourth one, I chose Miracles from Heaven. And if you mm-hmm. haven't seen that one, it's um, Jennifer Garner and um, uh, I can't think of the guy's name. I think he's a country singer. I could be wrong in that. As a matter of fact, I think I am. But anyway, they have a daughter. Who has um, I don't want cancer? Maybe she has some kind of terminal. It's a brain brain injury, mm-hmm. brain illness. I think is what it is. Um, doctors can't help her. They're giving her treatments. No, no, no. It's her stomach. She okay. has dis- distension or something. I, I, you know, you have to watch the movie again. Uh, but anyway, they start praying, and they start praying for a miracle. Mm. Start praying for help, and she ends up actually falling out of a tree, actually into a tree. Mm. Oh, wow. Because it's hollow inside. Uh, she hits her head and basically is cured. Oh. And it's based on a true story. Really? Really. Yes. Um, and then, of course, you have people in the movie who are like, well, that was just a coincidence. It's just fake. And then everybody's like, no, no, no. That was God's word. Right. That was God's hand right, right there. You know, we prayed for it. God fixed it. Uh, but you can go and see the actual family that they're talking about. You know, because it shows them at the end of the movie in pictures and stuff like they do. Oh, that's cool. Uh, but just, I mean, just tear fest mm. the entire movie. I was a blubbering idiot. Wow. Uh, number three, God's Not Dead. Mm, like that one, like that one. Good choice. Um, go ahead. 
I was going to say, I don't know if you have God's Not Dead 2 on there. I don't want to take that from you, but I love God's Not Dead. But part two, I think, was even better. Mm. I don't have two on there because I didn't see two. Oh, well, yet. Highly recommended number two. Yeah. To me, number one was, was, was good. I don't want to take nothing away from it, but some of the acting in there and so forth, I mean, it could take away a little bit from the movie and the message if, if, if you're not completely dialed in. But mm-hmm. still, I love God's Not Dead, number one. Uh, but number two, the acting's even better. The message, I think it really hits what's going on in our culture today. And number two was the, the, the teacher. Right, within the school system. Right. So, Jesse, you would probably like that one. I bet I would. Yeah, I like that because I love, like, debates. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> any kind of debate type movie or anything I just go on YouTube and just watch debates have you seen the movie is it with uh, Morgan Freeman where he's the head of a debate club he gets a debate club I think it's called the debaters I would have to check have oh to look you into would that. love that yeah I, that sounds good but, yeah. um, but I go on there I don't like anytime I see something that says Christian versus atheist right. or Christian versus Mormon I'm like ooh I'm clicking on that I want to yeah. watch that I want to see what happens um, and that's what this movie is. It's. Have you ever seen Evolution versus God by Ray Comfort? I would have to look it up. Put that on your list. YouTube it. Fantastic. Uh, there was another one that was. I was kind of. It was. Um, you remember Night Court? Mm-hmm. Remember the Harry uh, Anderson, the guy that played the judge? Yeah. He was in a movie. I think it was called A Matter of Faith. Mm. And he debated a student uh, in his class about evolution. Mm. And it was a decent movie, but it, it didn't quite make the list because I wanted God's Not Dead on there. Uh, now, number two, because okay. I'll move on, uh, is an oldie but a goodie. I chose the Ten Commandments. Charles hmm. Heston. Awesome. 19, way before I was born. Mm-hmm. Um, like have, you seen said, the new, have you seen the new Ben-Hur yet? No, not yet. I heard it was awesome. I heard it was awesome. I, I want like to, to check that out. Yeah. Check it out. But um, No, I actually have never seen the old Ben-Hur. Okay. I didn't even realize that Ben-Hur was uh, like a Christian-type film. It is a fictional story <coughs> set within but a, based within a biblical and, and historical setting. Mm. Right. So I always just thought it was like Spartacus or something. Right. You know, I never, I didn't actually know what it was. But um, yeah, I have to check that out, though. Uh, but it's, it's Exodus. It's right. the Moses story. You know, yeah, it's a classic. It's a classic. You can't go wrong with that one. And number one, of course, is Passion of the Christ. Mm. Ooh. Um, Great one. Oddly enough, I've only watched that movie one time wow. in the theaters. Uh, bought it, sit on my shelf, can't bring myself to watch it again. It's a powerful, powerful movie. It mm. is. You know, Mel has a new Christian-based film coming out. It's called a sequel? No, no. <clears throat> it's called Hacksaw Ridge. Oh, yeah. You probably saw the previews when you were at... Uh, Liberty. Liberty, graduating. They mm-hmm. showed a clip of it. But uh, that one's the true story of, uh, I want to say, Private Doss. Hopefully I didn't say his last name wrong. But the movie comes out in November, I believe. Uh, but it's about this Christian... Who <laughs> oh, Whoa! Wow. 
that was a wombat that just ran into this room and attacked. A wombat. I don't know why I went wombat, but man, that was like, you brought that from your feet. Wow. Seriously. If you're gonna, if you're gonna, hey, if you're gonna turned, blow out a sneeze, you might as well just be like, ah! ah. I turned completely away from all the microphones. It did not well, work. my left uh, ear thanks you. My right one's a little upset. But anyways, so Hacksaw Ridge is based on, uh, I think it's Private Doss. He's uh, World War Two, World War One, um, but it's about the private who uh, did not want to carry a weapon into battle. Right. And I'm not gonna give nothing away, but let me just tell you, if you watch the previews of this movie, you'll be there to watch it. So. Mm-hmm. Hacksaw Ridge, I will be there. And they are in talks of doing a follow-up to Passion of the Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mel Gibson and the writer, I think the same writer who did the first one, right. are trying to put that together. Um, so there could possibly be was a sequel. Was that the Apostle John? <laughs> yes, <laughs> Mel Gibson is working with the Apostle John. <laughs> that would be awesome. That sounds like a great Babylon B article. <laughs> yeah, Apostle John signs contract with Mel Gibson, something like that. Oh man! Uh, but it's supposed to follow the uh, the after story, the resurrection. And, right. Uh, I don't know if it'll be as good, but I'll go see it. Amen. That's cool. Nice top five, sir. Excellent. What's next there, Capitano? Well, um, we do have an anti-gospel segment ready to go, um, and and I don't think our I don't think our main segment today is going to be too terribly long. So I think we got time for the anti-gospel segment. I like it. Should we hit off with our little uh, anti-gospel theme song? Why don't you Why don't you intro what this video is, and then we'll do our theme song. Okay. Uh, well, what we have here is, I guess I should just tell you straight out, two heretics talking. Uh, <laughs> no, it's uh, two prosperity gospel guys, um, Kenneth Copeland and Jesse Duplantis. I hope that's, I said his last it. name correctly. You did a good job. I like when he says... Jesse, when he talks about himself, it always reminds me of the Geico commercial or whatever insurance commercial when <laughs> <laughs> the guy's riding on the horse and he hits the sign. She's like, Jesse? So, um, but Kenneth Copeland, Jesse uh, Duplantis are talking about justifying why they have a private jet, an $87 million jet or something like that. So as this video is going, they're discussing the justification of why they spent so much money on a personal private jet and just hear the prosperity gospel pour out. So, mm. with that being said, I think it's time for Anti-Gospel. Huh? That was, that that was like a diminished seventh chord there at the end. <laughs> did, nice. did, did we hit the high note? I was think that it was, good? Yeah, I think it was good. Good All job right. with the bass back there, Andy. I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I'm just here. Thank I'm you. Just here. Are you ready? All right. So here's uh, Ken Copeland, Jesse Duplantis on TBN, the Terrible Bible Network. Hmm. <laughs> but first, before I read the scripture, Amos chapter six, Brother Copeland, I was flying home from a meeting, and I had come out of a glorious meeting. Mm. I had just finished me and Cruffalo Dollar were preaching. Oh, there's had a, a one. glorious was meeting. Glorious. So I was, for lack of a better way to say it. I was spiritually high. I said, mm, people yeah. were saved, touched, and blessed. Got in the plane that God so graciously gave us. We're flying home. As I was going home, the Lord, real quickly, he said, Jesse, do you like your plane? Paul's <laughs> <laughs> right there. Paul's right there. He gave us. <laughs> Jesse? Jesse? Like See, plane. the Geico commercial or the insurance commercial came right to your head right there. <laughs> Jesse? <laughs> you like that plane, Jesse? Well, you know, I don't recall uh, any time in Scripture... Where God asked Paul, hey, Paul, do you like your shipwreck? 
Pa, do you like your prison cell? Pa? Well, now, in, in their theology, it would be, Pa, you like, uh, you like that piece of bread? It's a glorious piece of bread. You like that bread, Pa? Jonah, you like your whale? <laughs> <laughs> you like your fish? Blessed, saved, and highly mortified. Oh, we can do this. This is great. Elijah, do you like your cave? <laughs> what about a little more? Uh, How about this? How about this? Abraham, do you like your knife? <laughs> uh, all right, so uh, I was hoping you were going to run with that, man. Oh, okay, oh, okay, oh. go ahead, go ahead. Run with it some more. Balaam, do you like your donkey? <laughs> uh, How about, uh, oh, oh, here you go. Moses, do you like your basket? <laughs> Andy, you got any? No, I'm done. I'm done. Okay. Oh, I can keep going, man. Keep, okay. All right, give us two more. What you got? Jesus, do you like your manger? <laughs> I mean, you are sitting in a barn right now. <laughs> oh, man. You sound just like him. Jesse? <laughs> Jesse? Hold on. Let's let's get one. Oh, oh, oh. Lazarus, do you like your tomb? <laughs> there you go. There you There's one. <laughs> I was blessed. Blessing that tomb there. Ah. All right, you ready? Ready to keep going? All right. I said, well, certainly, Lord. He said, do you really like it? And I thought, well, yes, Lord. He said, then he said this, so that's it? I didn't know how to handle that. I went, what? He said, you're going to let your faith stagnate? And when he said that, that shocked me. Mm. I went, whoa, wait. I literally unbuckled my seatbelt, my plane. I stood up. My pilots looked around and said, do you need something? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. And he he went back to flying. I said... (laughs) Lord, I just, okay, hold on. He laughs and doesn't make <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They're probably like, hey, dummy, sit down on that plane. <laughs> Wait a minute. What does he say? He stands up and says, what? I said, no, no, I'm talking to God right now. And he, just, <laughs> he went back to flying. I said, Lord, I don't think I was letting my faith stagnate. He said, so this is all I could ever do. I said, you want, you, you're trying to tell me something. He said, go to the book of Amos. So if you had the book of Amos, I want to read may, the scripture. May I interrupt right you there yes, for a second? Mm-hmm. You couldn't have done that on an airliner. <laughs> oh, no, man. sir. No way. Wait, wait. Stand. Back that back up. Play that. This is, this is where it gets good. So he stood up. What did he He stood up. Because Okay, so God was speaking to him. Oh, well, let's. Well, let's. He claims. <laughs> he claims. You, you could not see the air quotation marks around that. So mm-hmm. uh, supposedly God was speaking to him on this private jet, $87 million jet. Jesse? Jesse? Do you like your private jet? Jesse? Why is your faith stagnated? <laughs> uh, and then Kenneth Copeland chirps in with, well, hold on, hold on. You couldn't do that on a private, no, no, what did he say? Commercial you, <laughs> On a commercial airplane. All right, you ready? Here we go. I think he says it again. Mm-hmm. You couldn't have done that on an airliner. No, sir. Mm-hmm. No way. Stand up and say, what'd you say, Lord? No. Okay, no, yeah. And the guy sitting over there saying, what the hell does he think he's doing? <laughs> you think he can't do that? No. Well, it, sorry to our listeners. What, why, why can't you do that on the airliner? Because you're with people. I mean, what are they trying to say? That you can't you can't stand up on an airliner and, and praise God? You can't. Are you worried you're going to offend somebody? You can't hear God when there's other people around? Hmm. And those of you that are that are just now coming into these things, um, in in the first planes. place, <laughs> Jesse and 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 I and and others, Keith Moore and Creflo and all of us, 
the world is in such a shape, we can't get there without this. That's right. We've got to have this. We would have, the mess that the airlines are in today. You can't get to the world. To the world without, without uh, a private jet. Without a private jet. Because mm. I mean, these guys are very important, by the way. I mean, oh, only, yeah, only they can bring the gospel mm. of heresy. <laughs> I would have to stop. I'm being very conservative. At least 75 to 80, more <laughs> like 90% of what we're doing, because you can't get there and from here. It's impossible. So we, we ha and, and this was such a good illustration. I just. <laughs> I love how this turns into a defense of why they need a multi-million dollar jet. Well, Jesse, I'm at least 75, 80, 90 percent believe they preach in prosperity. I think you're right. Don't let impress me. That's why we're on that airplane. We can talk to oh, God. Glory we to can, God. We, it's, we, it, it's when I was flying for Oral Roberts, the uh, brother Deweese, my, my mm -hmm. boss on the airplane, he said, now, Kenneth, this is sanctuary. It protects the anointing on, on uh, uh, Brother, Brother Roberts. Roberts. And he said, you keep your mouth shut. Don't talk to him unless he talks. Because when he's on a meeting, he doesn't talk to anybody but God. Now, Oral used to fly airlines. Right. But it, even back mm -hmm. there then, man, mm -hmm. it, it got to the place where it was agitating his spirit. Sure. People come. Did you hear that? It protects the anointing. Hmm. Wow. I wonder if Jesus had a uh, bubble when he was walking through the crowds of people so that no one could touch him he... and get the anointing. Mm. Mm. I just like the fact that he just now said uh, that it was just too troublesome for him to fly commercial. Mm -hmm. Like it was just, it was affecting his spirit. Mm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Tell you what, he was a little forceful too with that, you shut up. <laughs> Mm. Coming up to him, he right. had become famous, and they wanted him to pray for him and right. all that. You, you, heaven forbid, no people doubt. want him to pray for them. <laughs> I mean, isn't that what a preacher does? Pray yeah. for people? Yeah, isn't mean, that what a Christian's supposed to do? Is pray for people? Jesse? Wow. Go ye out and preach the gospel, you, but not on an airplane. So <laughs> listen to what this says. You must protect the anointing because you don't want to use it to pray for people. Hmm. <laughs> that makes no sense whatsoever. No, you, can't, you, you can't manage that today. Right. The, this dope-filled world. Right. And get, in an air, get in a long tube with a bunch of demons. Oh. Right, that's oh. exactly the And it, it's Hold deadly. On. Back that up. Oh. You can't, listen, if you're anointed, <laughs> stay away from them dope-filled people because they will straight up mess up your anointing. Long tube of Don't touch me, and I ain't gonna pray for you. Mm. I'm anointed. Yep, stay away from the demonic forces. Them dope filled crackheads. <laughs> dope filled crackheads. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for riding Demon Tube Airlines. <laughs> you will be served your pretzels and Coca Cola very shortly once we get to altitude. And later. Keep your sacrifices to one chicken or less. <laughs> <laughs> we will accept pigeons for tip. <laughs> and, and it works on your heart. It really does.
So I, anyway, I, I wanted to make that clear so the devil can't lie to you and say, see that, them preachers spending all that money just, just fat cats riding around. No, we're not. We in business do. Listen. We in business. I could scratch my flying itch with my little single engine open cockpit airplane. Hold right. on. I just come home and fly around in that and scratch my flying itch. That doesn't have nothing to do with that. But right. we're, in, we're, in, we're in soul business here. Right. We, we got a dying world around us. Just, we got a dying nation around us. That's right. And we can't even get there on the airline. And you, can, you can't. Let, let me give you an example before I read the scripture. It, like, some people say, you can't get there on these airlines. Now, now, this is the same guy who just said, this dope-filled world can't be touching me and praying for me. But we can't get there. These demons, we can't get there. On a, on a commercial liner. The world needs Jesus. Just not on the airline. <laughs> wow. How much does a uh, single engine little plane cost? I'm just curious. Realistically, I'd probably say seventy-five, dollars $100,000. You get a little single engine. How would more conservative? Fifty or 60000 Probably so. But he can scratch his itch because he's I, in the business. I didn't scratch my itch. The soul business. I could take my little single Like everybody's just got a random little single engine plane in their backyard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Why do you need an airplane? It started out about a couple of weeks ago. I, I was in Fort Worth. I preached for, on a, a Sunday, a Friday night and a Saturday. I was in Fort Worth preaching for Jerry Savelle. Sunday morning, I was in Boston, Massachusetts. Monday, I was in New Orleans. Tuesday, I was in Chicago. Wednesday, I was in Raleigh, North Carolina. Thursday, I was in New Orleans. Friday, I was in San Antonio, Texas. Saturday, I was in New Orleans. Sunday, I was in another city. I actually have a Delta captain that lives close to my house. I brought him that schedule. I said, can you fly this? He said, no, and I wouldn't. If <laughs> How, when do you sleep? We're about the farthest on the airplane. On the airplane. It's the only on. way I can grab it, see. Ah, yeah. there now, it when is. God is speaking this to me, oh. he said, so this is all I could ever do. And I'm thinking, in, in myself, well, yeah, I mean, you know, this is a phenomenal aircraft you're giving us. He said, then when he said, you're going to let your fate stagnate, now that caught my attention. When God tells you your faith stagnating, yeah. you better start listening. Oh, yeah. So, and I thought, stagnating? You I'm, can't stay here. Yeah. You got to do this or you're going to do this. He said this, you're on control, cruise control. You're moving, but no longer by your power. See? That's what the DVD is about. That's what that yeah, DVD yeah, is about. Yeah, he I said, you're moving, but no longer <laughs> by your power. See you see, you're just doing this. Now, watch this scripture. Now, the, i got to stop on the first word. Amos chapter 6. So, you're moving, but not in your own power. Wouldn't that be a good thing? Like, I'm thinking that, that kind of sounds what we, we should be doing is I, I, being moved by not our own power, but by God's power. I don't know. I don't know. I don't Folks, know. I got, I got lost when uh, Kenneth said, you got to be here. Whoosh. Or you got to be here. And then I was, <clears throat> mine went like, what? I think you're going to have to excuse me so I can go throw up in the bathroom. <laughs> I mean, it, it is ridiculous. It is, I mean, if he was to go on, if we were to continue on, which we're, we're probably not, but there's just such misrepresentation of the scripture, blatantly prosperity gospel at its fullest. It is quite disturbing. I mean, you have to really laugh about it to. And to think this is, this is the American version of the gospel that's being exported to countries all over the world where most of them don't even have 
toilets or running car, water, cars or water, and and they're talking about multi-million dollar private jets. You know, Enoch, do you not like your outhouse? Well, your faith must be stagnating if you your don't like it. Your faith must be stagnating. You know, how, how does a kid in Haiti I mean, going to pray for a, a car? Well, I mean, around the world, it's a dollar to two dollars a day is right. what people live off of. Mm-hmm. And then you got these guys trying to justify an $87 million jet. And when he named all his buddies, guess what? All of them have their little private jets. Mm-hmm. Because they got to get around the world. I mean, you heard his little schedule. New Orleans, Charlotte, New Orleans. I mean, hey, you better get a better day planner. Maybe plan your schedule a little bit better. Yeah. I well, mean, if he's going to preach that, just stay home. <laughs> you, right. don't, you don't have to travel. Just stay home. That, that would be good. Yeah. And then you take, you know, just normal, ordinary preachers of the gospel. No one wants them. No one wants them. Well, well, let's transition to the other side of the spectrum. Let's trans- let's transition from the prosperity s- side of uh, so-called Christianity to the legalistic side. And today, to introduce our main segment, we've got a little song. I fought the law and the law one. I fought the law and the law one. I needed money cause I had none. I fought the law and the law one. I fought the law and the law one. So today we're gonna fight the law. Mm. We're gonna talk about witnessing to law observant Christians. And some people would call these Torah observant Christians. Some people would call these, um, there's several different words for it, but, you know, some people would claim to be Messianic Jews that we're all supposed to follow the Torah. Now, I know of Messianic Jews. They still worship on Saturday, which they have freedom to do that. Paul says we have freedom on the Sabbath. That's one of the things we're going to talk about. Um, But I'm going to tell you why this started. So the other day I was meeting one of our deacons for lunch and... I saw uh, a guy there who I've met several times, an, an old friend, and um, he does not attend a church. He has a pretty good bit of children, and they have church you know, in their home, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with home churches. Right. And so he comes up to me, and we start talking, and he starts talking about this ministry that he listens to, about, um, he says, a lot of Christians think that there's the old covenant and the new covenant. And he said, but it's really the same covenant. And he starts talking about how Christians are supposed to follow the Torah, how they're supposed to be keeping the law because he, he you know, quotes the scripture, Jesus said, I'm not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. We're supposed mm-hmm. to keep the commandments. We're supposed to keep the law. And so I asked him, I said, so when you say keep the law, do you mean the moral law, the ceremonial law, or the civic law? And he says, well, see, that's the problem. A lot of people think they're different. They're, they're, they're not. There's only one law. And so then I asked him, I said, well, 
Where do you pay your tithes to? He said, well, you, you, you can't pay your tithes because there's no temple. And I said, okay. I said, um, do you assemble yourselves with uh, other believers to worship? Hmm. And but, but see, there's the difference. There's a difference between the Old Testament law and the New Testament guidelines for Christians. Right, right. And so every time I would throw one of these things out, um, like I would say, so, so you're telling me that um, all, because I knew, uh, you know, the New Testament expressly is against this. I said, you're telling me that um, all believers must be circumcised? Because that was the old covenant. And he said, well, actually, the uh, circumcision wasn't, circumcision came before the law. It's not part mm. of the law. Right? Well, which sounds to me, and I know I'm probably jumping the gun a little bit, and we'll, we'll get to this, but it sounds like he's a Judaizer in the book of Galatians. Right. And I know that you're probably going to get to that, because uh, that's how you defend the faith when it comes to the Judaizers. But what, what actually doctrines of the law do those Christians observe? Like, what are some of the things well, that they, stand out? They believe that um, all Christians must observe all the Old Testament laws. And when I'm talking about all the Old Testament laws, uh, I'm not just talking about Ten Commandments. I'm talking about, I mean, everything else that you like would imagine. The 600, I don't know how many exactly number, but it's like 600 different laws, like the shellfish, the linen, all right. these laws that were given to the and, and Israel. One of the main things is their uh, admonition that worship should be on the Sabbath, which they claim is Saturday. And we started talking about that pretty heavily. So does he hold to, uh, is he still sacrificing goats or bulls or doves? Well, what he claims is that you can take no part in the sacrificial system right now because the temple does not exist. Well, then how do you hold to the law, sir? That's what, that's what mm. my whole point was. You can't keep the Old Testament law mm -hmm. if there's no temple. Because the whole ceremonial law was built around the temple. That's right. And the temple sacrifices. Okay. You know. So they, they would say, you know, um, Christians should observe all Jewish festivals, which would be the Feast of Weeks, the Feast of Trumpets. Um, you take probably the largest festival, the Day of Atonement. Well, what was that centered around? It was centered around the temple. You have the Feast of Tabernacles. Um, but... As New Covenant believers, you know, when we see Jesus observing the Passover, he says, do this in remembrance of me. It's no longer about the Old Covenant. It is about what is his blood and his body and doing that in remembrance of Christ. It is, in essence, a new celebration, a different celebration. It's not just about a deliverance from Egypt. It is now uh, about a deliverance from sin. Um, they believe that all Christians should worship on Saturday because that's what the Old Testament says is the Sabbath. They believe you should have no shellfish, no pork. Um, you know, most of them would say you must obey circumcision. Now, this guy was a little uh, different. Well, the no pork would be <laughs> an issue for you because we know you like the bacon. I sure do. I had it last night. Bacon wrapped dove breast. Oh, I saw that. I saw your post. Bacon oh. bacon wrapped jalapeno stuffed with cheese. Oh, man. Uh, for Labor Day celebration, we had um, a big slab of bacon. Slab like, of bacon. We got it from uh, the processor. So it was this big slab of bacon, and it's a Hungarian tradition. Uh, 
my wife and her family are Hungarian. Um, but we roast this over the fire. We drip the, the grease drippings over the bread. So, you know, don't tell your doctor. But <laughs> then you cut off a little strips of bacon. And let me tell you, it's like those doves. It's uh, shut your mouth good. I'm telling you. You need to have some. So, um. no bacon. What else? Uh, mo- must obey circumcision, you were saying, but the guy's a little different on that one. So. Yeah, well, he knew enough of the Scripture to know that the New Testament uh, is against forcing circumcision upon believers. But here's some of the uh, Scriptures that they use. They'll say, uh, Matthew five seventeen, Jesus did not come to abolish the law to fulfill it. Um, Matthew five nineteen, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. Um, John fourteen fifteen. If you love me, keep my commands. First John two three. We know we have come to know him if we keep his commands. And they believe that that refers to all of the Old Testament law. So if you love Jesus, you're supposed to keep all his commands. Because here, here's their essence. Their essence is that Jesus came to enable us to keep all of the law. That's what they believe Christianity is. Christianity is keeping all the law. And that's what Jesus' work did. Jesus' work enables us to keep the law. Well, and unlike putting a whole lot on your back. Because I mean, yeah. that's what it's, it's putting you under bondage again. I thought Christ came uh, to, we have victory in him, his finished work at the cross. The, the law is our taskmaster. It shows us our need for Christ, that right. we cannot fulfill the law. Only he can do that. Right. And what, what, let me ask, what does keeping the law accomplish? It, sh- it, it is how you love God. So it doesn't, like it's not a, for, I'm, I'm a little confused on, on, it's not a way to get to heaven for them. For them, they would say that you won't get to heaven unless you are keeping the law. That law-keeping is the path mm. of salvation. Well, I know we're going to transition and get some, some Scripture and how to be able to defend it, how to be able to uh, show them in Scripture to n- knock all this nonsense out of the way. But can I read something from Hebrews oh, real I'd quick? Oh, I'd love for <clears throat> you right. to. Let me turn there real quick. I'm going to be reading uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, I'm going to start in verse 8, but you really can go from chapter 9 all the way through 10, but this is just something that pops out to me. And when he said this above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings. And Which, si- all right, pause right there. So what it's showing is that God did not delight in the sacrificial law-keeping system. Correct. That was not his delight. And so, uh, pick back up. He says, burnt offerings and sin offerings, these are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. This is Jesus talking about what he has come to do, the will. Uh, he does away with the first, okay, he does away with the first in order to establish the second, verse 10. And by the will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every high priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God waiting for the time until his enemy should be made his footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified, those who are being set apart. So, 
the Torah observant people would say that if the temple existed, sacrifices would continue, which is actually what the Catholic sacrament observation is based on. It's based on the Old Testament priestly system because the reason they call the Catholic leaders priests is because they believe that the priests are offering sacrifices in mediation of the people. Well, and I would say, okay, then what about here when he says he does away with the first? Well, what is the first? The first is when they did the sacrifices. The system of... So obviously he's getting away of something, so something has to change. If he's saying I'm getting away for the first in order to establish what? He's establishing something. He says the second. Well, what's the second? Well, Jesus refers to the old covenant. I have come to make a new covenant. Mm -hmm. Well, the new covenant is the second. The second so. And, and where is the reference of that scripture again? That is uh, Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, like I said, you can start in all of Hebrews, but 9 going through 10. But uh, verses 8 through 11 is when you really start hitting on that, all the way down through 14. And really the whole book of Hebrews. Correct. And that's is it, about Christ being the mediator once and for all. There is no other mediator. There is no other need for a priest. And, and really, you know, 40 years after Christ, the temple was destroyed. And, and, you know, and that's why Hebrews was written. It was written to these, uh, the Hebrews, to understand that Christ has abolished the first to, in place with the second, that right. he is enough, that his work accomplished it, things that we cannot accomplish. His sacrifice, once and for all, sins are forgiven through him and him alone. Now, one thing we make a distinction of, we make a distinction between the moral law, ceremonial law, and the civic law. For example, for us, the the moral law includes such things as do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not covet, do not lie, do not uh, steal, do not uh, worship any other gods. All of those things fall into the moral law. So the moral law has never been done away away with. Now, what they'll say is the Sabbath is included in the moral law. So I would ask you... um, Robert, let's say they're, they're, they're arguing with you and you, you're talking about the moral law. And they'll say, well, um, part of the moral law is uh, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. How would you respond to that? Well, then I would uh, also talk about uh, in Revelation when John was praying. It says he was in the Lord's day. Well, why didn't it say the Sabbath there? Why did it say that he was praying in the Lord's day? Uh, over in Corinthians, it talks about when, when Paul says uh, that he would come to the churches the first of the week on the Lord's day. So obviously there's a distinction what the New Testament believers were believing in the Lord's day. Um, Here, here's a good place. I, in, um, I, I like what you said about the moral law real quick. When you talked about um, all these different things, why do we hold to that? Well, Jesus said, what are the two greatest commandments? Love, love the Lord God. God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And the next is to love your neighbor as yourself. When you think about those two things, well, if you commit murder to someone yeah. or if you covet in their stuff, well, guess what? You're not loving your neighbor. If you okay. worship another God, you're not loving God. You're not loving God. All those fall on those things, and that's why we hold to the moral law that's written on the heart, Romans chapter 2, verse 15. So these things flow from that. Mm-hmm. So all the moral law comes to those two things that Jesus said. That's why to love the Lord God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, then to love your neighbor as you love yourself, and all that flows from that. So what were you saying on your next point? Yeah, about the, uh, the Sabbath keeping. Romans 14, 5, Paul says... One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day sacred. 
Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. And in that context, Paul is talking about uh, believers who believe that um, they can only eat uh, vegetables, and some uh, would say that, that you know they can't eat any meat because basically all meat back then would have been sacrificed to some form of idol uh, in Rome. And uh, uh, so in Romans 14, he's talking about there's people who believe that they can do one thing, but they must do it with a full conscience. There's people who don't believe they can partake in meat. They must do it with a clean conscience before God. So he was saying, you know, some people consider one day holy. That could have been the Sabbath keepers. But another person considers every day holy. And, and he was not making a uh, distinguishment between those who uh, only considered one day sacred and those who considered every day sacred. So I always say in the New Covenant, uh, we're not limited to uh, worship on one day. Every day is a day of worship because, Amen. Um, Robert, you could probably tell us, because you're the rain man, where um, he says that our Sabbath, and I th maybe it's in Hebrews, but Christ is our Sabbath, that we have rested from our labors. Um, mm. Do you know where that is? Off the I, have to, uh, I have to look and see, but so I like what you said. Uh, Romans 14.5 is how you defend the faith when it comes to uh, the Sabbath or the Lord's Day of the day we worship, correct? Right. Okay. What are, what are some other scriptures that point that out? Well, as you were talking about, in the New Testament, we already see the development of Christians who are worshiping on the first day of the week because that was the day that Jesus rose from the grave, and it was the day that um, Christians were gathering together. Um, if you look at Acts 20, verse 7, it says that Paul was preaching uh, on the first day of the week. Well, why would he have been preaching on the first day of the week unless they were gathered together on the first day of the week? Um, if you look at 1 Corinthians 16, 2, he says on the first day of the week, set aside a portion of your income as you have, I think it says, as you have prospered. Um, and then, as you said, Revelation 1.10, it says that uh, John has a vision on the Lord's day. Now, this was a unique term. As you mentioned, it does not say that he had a vision on the Sabbath day. Well, what is the Lord's day? The Lord's day would, at that time, have been the first day of the week because Christians were worshiping on the Lord's day, and that was uh, distinguishing that day from the Sabbath day. Now, I quoted this, and... Uh, the guy said, he said, well, the Lord's Day is a term for the Sabbath. And I don't have any biblical warrant for believing that um, because if it would have been the Sabbath, they would have just said John was having a vision on the Sabbath. Exactly. I mean, when, when you think of the context of conversations and so forth, why not just say Sabbath there? Why in other places, maybe even in 1 Corinthians or in Acts, I know the word Sabbath had come about when they talked about them going to the uh, temple and so forth so uh, obviously they're making a, a distinction the Lord's day from the Sabbath so and you look at the resurrection okay how many days was the resurrection when did he rise it was on the first day of the week amen how do we know that from the scriptures right. so definitely a distinction taking place so you could have some good dialogue with that mm-hmm well, let's talk about a few scriptures um, which show us that uh, the law, the purpose of the law, and Paul deals fully with the purpose of the law in the book of Galatians. I would encourage all of our listeners 
to go review the book of Galatians. It's a pretty concise book. He says in Galatians 3, 24, the law was our guardian until Christ came that we might be justified by faith. And now that faith has come, we're no longer under a guardian. So the law has served its purpose. He says in Romans 7, verse 7, I would not have known sin had it not been for the law. So the law shows us our sinfulness. It is not the method which brings about our sanctification. You can't be sanctified by the law because the law shows you sin. So something that shows you sin cannot bring you right uh, conduct. Okay? Um, he says in Romans 7, 9, Once I was alive apart from the law, but when the commandments came, sin sprang to life and I died. So the law produced death in him. It did not produce life. The law cannot produce life. It only produces death. Um, he says in 1 Timothy 1, 9, we know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for sinners, for lawbreakers. So who is the law for? It's not for those who are following Christ. It is for those who are not yet following Christ because it shows you your sinfulness. All right, so one thing I do want to pick up on to what you, what you said, awesome scripture, but back to the book of Galatians. And I know Andy has something that he wants to share from there, but if you go back to chapter 1, as it starts... When Paul is addressing these Judaizers, he talks about they are teaching a different gospel. Mm. Okay? When he says in verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 9 and 10, when he talks about the different gospel, let them be a curse, let them be anathema. Mm. Okay? <clears throat> They're preaching a gospel that's pretty close that's tricking people. And what I mean is that there, there's a twisting. And we see that even in our day and age because Peter, mm. who was a solid believer, right? Peter, knowing the gospel, knowing what Christ did, knowing that we're not under the law, okay, that uh, Christ's, Christ's sacrifice is where the forgiveness of sin is. His finished work on the cross. And we are justified by faith and believing in him. And so Peter gets caught up in this mix, right? So obviously... They twist it in such a way that makes it look a little Christian-esque, right? Paul goes and he addresses that. He says, look, Peter, you know this is not the gospel, and let these people be accursed. Um, and, and Andy, I know you were going to share from chapter 2 why we're no longer under the law, that we are to Christ and him alone. So, Right, well, it says in uh, Galatians 2, uh, in, in uh, verse 16, that... Um, well, he says he knows that a person is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, because by the works of the law, no one will be justified. Mm. Um, and you can go on to read a little bit more, but if in seeking to be justified in Christ, we Jews find ourselves also among the sinners, does that mean that Christ promotes sin? Absolutely not. Meganoito. If I rebuild what I destroyed, then I really would be a lawbreaker. Uh, and then for through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God, like you were saying earlier. Uh, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Boom. Boom. Right. Boom. Man, that is, 
That's it right there. I want you to listen to this. This is a mic drop. <laughs> really, it was a pin hitting the table, but... <laughs> you know what? It's, like ra- the... it's radio. It could be a mic drop. That was a mic drop. I love it. Man. I do I'm not like... know if I, the grace of God, if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And so, I mean, if you think back through the whole thing, the law showed Paul his sin... And he died to the law so that he could live to Christ. What does it mean to die to the law? It means that it has crucified your ability to think that you can be good enough. It has has killed the lie which says, I can make myself right. You can't. You can't follow enough laws, no matter if it's 10 laws or 600 laws in the Old Testament. None of them are enough to make yourself right with God. But this rightness with God comes through Christ for what purpose? So that we might live for God. And what does that mean? That would be loving God. That would be uh, serving our fellow neighbor, loving our enemy. And, And what I always say is the New Testament goes above and beyond what the law says. Um, it's, a, Amen. <laughs> it's a command above the law. So, um, you know, in the, New, in the New Testament, Jesus says, uh, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye or two for truth, which was, matter of fact, in the law. Yep. But he says, I tell you, turn the other cheek. Mm. Mm-hmm. He's establishing something right there. Something greater than the law. Which something is, greater. Which is a relationship with your fellow man that is not based on what is deserved because our relationship with God is no longer based on what is deserved. Because Yeah, absolutely. Our relationship with God is undeserved. It's by His grace, unmerited favor. Let me read this to you real quick from the Gospel Transformation Bible, uh, my study Bible that I use a lot of the times. And it's talking about those. It says, By faith, believers are justified through the completed work of Jesus Christ. He kept the law. He kept the law that could not be kept even by those whom it was given. He was faithful to his father, was crucified, and then was raised to redeem people from the curse of the law. Jesus was born under the law, and he kept it perfectly. And he died to redeem those who had transgressed it. Believers are united with Christ by faith. As a consequence, we, we have been crucified with him in our past sinful identity is nailed to the cross with him at the same time that in, he indwells us with his resurrected life. Man, nailed to the cross. He kept what we could not keep. He did it perfectly. That's good. Y'all have anything to add? No, I think that's good. I mean, obviously you can go more and more into Scripture and so forth, but man, I just think it's so amazing that we can look and even what Paul faced in that day and show these verses, God's word will speak. And you know what? Someone for like Andy Stanley, who doesn't believe in the full scripture, he's not going to be able to have this. Mm-mm. He's not going to be able to have this. But someone who trusts solely in the word of God, they're going to be able to stand on the word of God. That bucket will hold water. Someone who doesn't trust in the Bible, doesn't have a foundation in the Bible, when they go to try to defend the gospel, they will have cracks and leaks. They will not be able to to witness for Christ and point him for his glory and for his sake to make his name known. 
Well, how about this? Since this is September, next month is October when we always celebrate the anniversary of the uh, Protestant Reformation with Martin Luther. What if we do an episode next uh, month on Sola Scriptura? And we can go over that uh, Andy Stanley video. Amen. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that would be a good anniversary. And next year is the 500th anniversary Ooh. of the Protestant Reformation. So maybe we can do a lot of seg segments, you know, by grace alone, through faith alone, for the glory of God alone, um, Scripture alone, um, through Christ alone, all of those. Amen. Amen. Um, did y'all pick out a song? Actually, I'm glad you pulled this one up. Uh, I think this goes right along with our How Can It today. Be by Lauren Daigle. Um, just to share a quick, I was on my way, the first time I ever heard this song, I was on my way to Georgia, and my mother had just passed. And the lifestyle that she lived was not one that glorified God. It didn't bring glory and honor to his name. But in God's grace and in his sovereignty, about seven months prior to her death, um, he poured out his grace, gave her faith to believe and trust in him. And this song, to me, it, it, it spoke to me all the way down there as I, I went to go preach her funeral. And uh, the scripture that God gave me uh, to be able to share that, that day for her funeral was about Jesus being in between the two thieves on the cross. Mm. And they had nothing to offer, nothing to bring to the table. Nothing could they do. One looked and believed. And Jesus said, truly, truly, today you'll be with me in paradise. And to me, when this song plays, and to me, when I think of my mother, and I think about that passage, was that thief could do nothing to save himself. It was all about what Jesus was accomplishing on the cross. By his grace, forgiveness was given. So, That's a good word. Friends, thanks for joining us. Uh, it's been a little longer than normal, but we've covered a lot of good stuff. God bless you. Until next time, keep on defending the faith, defending the gospel. Goodbye. I am guilty, ashamed of what I've done, what I've become. These hands are dirty. I dare not lift them up to the